According to UPI News article, the Metropolitan Insurance Company received some unusual explanations for the accidents its policyholders would give. You know, you have an accident, you got to call in the insurance, and you got to tell them what happened, right? So these are a list of some, some you know, unusual uh, reasons behind the accidents. Number one, an invisible, these are all true, right? Somebody actually told their insurance company this. An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and vanished. The other car collided with mine without warning me of its intention. I had been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had the accident. That's a long time to be driving, 40 years. I don't know what that individual meant to say, but that's what he sent in. As I reached an intersection, a hedge sprang up, obscuring my vision. Hey, I don't know, a burning bush appeared out of nowhere, right? I don't know, maybe. As I reached, uh, as I pulled away from the side of the road, I glanced at my mother-in-law and then headed over the embankment. It's his mother-in-law's fault. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran him over. It's a, it's... The telephone pole was approaching fast. I attempted to swerve out of its way when I struck it when my front when it struck my front end. It's telephone's pole's fault. The guy was all over the road, and I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. The indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a little car with a big mouth. Well, as you can probably see, there's a pattern to the, today's message, right, to the intro, and we, it's about excuses, right? Excuses. Excuses. Today, I'm excited. I don't know. Hopefully you get excited. But today we're starting a four-week series. And in this four-week series, um, we're looking into the, the question of, like, God, can you use me? Or, or, or will you use me? Or who, who are the people that God uses? Have you ever thought that? Like, God, can you use me? You know, or, or like, who, who, who does God use? Right? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna address that question or that thought in the next four weeks in a series, in a series titled God Use Me. And um, we're going to be using the life of Jeremiah throughout these four weeks to take a look at his life, to see the person that God uses, right? And this week, today's sermon is no excuses. Oh, excuses. It's called excuses. Thank you. God Use Me is a series, and part one is excuses. Next week is something about allowing your heart to break. Who wants a broken heart? Mm, nobody. The next week after that is, is, is going to speak about rising above discouragement, and the next one is persevering in obedience. So that, that's, that's going to be our sermon series for the next four weeks. I'm excited. I want you guys to stay connected, stay uh, up to date with it, because God has a word for all of us, starting with me. Amen? We are truly... We are truly skillful. Look around, look around and be like you. Go like this, point at people. Point at, point, at, point, at, point, point at each other. Point at each other. You guys are all skillful when you want to make excuses. When you want to make excuses, oh, you'll find an excuse. Some are better than others. But people, we all have excuses. We all have excuses. You know, they sound like I don't know how to do it. Or I didn't understand the assignment. Uh, those, all the social media people there. They didn't understand the assignment. I couldn't, I couldn't find the right tools. I thought you were going to do that. I thought you were going to do it. And, and, the, and the spouses look at each other like, mm-hmm, I thought you were going to do it. No, I thought you were going to do it. No one called me. Some people will say, babe. The voices in my, in my head told me to clean all my guns all at one day and fill the whole kitchen and dining room up on the table. 
It was the voices in my head, babe. <laughs> Rebuke those voices, right? That's why they're on the kitchen counter, babe. That's why. Excuses, excuses, excuses. In the Christian world, in the Christian walk with God, we find all sorts of excuses not to obey God's voice. And they sound like this. But it's the pastor's job to do that. How many of y'all say that? Okay. Yeah, I knew, I knew nobody here said that. It's not my gift. I already served. It's time to let someone else do it. I'm too busy. Or maybe like a day on today, like it's too nice to be in church. I'm going to go to the beach. There's nothing wrong with going to If you're watching online and you're at the beach, don't feel convicted unless the Holy Spirit convicts you. I'm not the one to convict me. The Holy Spirit does that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too shy. I'm too loud. I might hurt somebody's feelings. That's why I can't serve. No, we need loud people serving too. The list goes on and on and on. Matter of fact, I wonder if someone has, if, if there's a pastor that has already written a book of excuses. If not, maybe we can, we can write one and, and the proceeds can go to our new building, <laughs> to our new church building. Excuses are tools of the incompetent, and those who specialize in them seldom go far. That's an anonymous quote there. Ben Franklin said once, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Hey, I didn't say these things. It's already been said. But the reality is, there's a lot of truth in this. We're going to be looking at the life of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah had every excuse ready. He could have had even more excuses ready when God called him to be a prophet. His excuses are um, often our excuses for not listening or obeying God's voice when he calls us. So even though these are excuses that he had or could have had, these are excuses that we too share when God is calling us and we are hesitant to answer the call of God. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about these excuses and we're going to follow them up and counter them with promises of God. Amen? Jeremiah chapter 1. Oh, I didn't start the timer. You know what that means. We started right now. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 to 10 says, The Lord gave me this message. I, know, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young. You got to go over here then. I'll go over here then. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And, do not, and don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I have put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some of you must Uproot, some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. It's a lot of stuff in these verses right here. One of the first excuses that Jeremiah could have made is the fact that this task was just too demanding. It's just too demanding, God. Why would this be too demanding? He called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations. I asked Zeke to preach with me this morning, and he was not prepared for that, right? And Zeke was like, uh, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. He was about the same age as Jeremiah when Jeremiah was called. 
to be a prophet to the nations. Ezekiel, imagine if God says you're going to be a prophet to the nations right now. Right now. He'd be like, whoa, wait a minute, I'm still in high school. I still got things to do. Are you sure you chose me to choose me? Like, I'm not ready for that, right? You know, I mean, these are, I mean, instantly, instantly, right? And so this, 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 this task may seem too demanding. He's called to be a prophet to the nations, not a priest like his dad or his grandfather, right? But a prophet. A prophet was a chosen spokesperson, a spokesman for God. <laughs> we often think that prophets are people that, that just tell the future, right? And that's not necessarily true at all. Prophets spoke messages to the present that had future consequences or future results. You understand this? They were speaking to the people because right now this is where you're at. Nation of Israel, this is where you're at right now, and it needs to change because the future looks like this if you don't. That was their role. Being a prophet was more demanding than serving as a priest. Priest duties were predictable. They were predictable. They were ritualistic. Everything was all written down for them in the Scriptures. They weren't right. It was already written, right? Moses took care of a lot of that. <laughs> it was already written. A prophet never knew what he was going to say. It, it was like day to day, like, okay, you going to say something today, God? He didn't have a book to go to. He didn't have a transcript to go off of. He didn't have a schedule. He was just like, you ready today? You want to say anything? No? Okay, maybe tomorrow? No? Maybe, I mean, and then, and then it was like, is that you, God? Is it you? How many of us are like that today? Like, wait, was that you, God, or is that me? You know, I mean, we struggle. That's a struggle. For every believer, at any part of your walk with God, it's a struggle sometimes to be like, wait, was that really God, or is that something I want to do, or something I want? It's, it's, it's hard. A priest served primarily to preserve the past. This is important, right? The priests had a duty to perform, but it was primarily to preserve their way within the scriptures. So a priest would preserve their past, their culture, their walk with God that was already set for them. They were there to preserve it and to maintain that. Prophets served to change the present so that they can have a future. The priests, they dealt with the externals. They did the rituals. They did sacrifices. They did the offerings. They did services. A prophet would deal with the internal because he was dealing and speaking to the heart. He was speaking to the heart. Hey, this is you right now. You can't continue this way. Your heart needs to change. If it doesn't change, things may not look too good in the future. Priests, they would minister to individuals with various needs. Many times the people, the Jewish people would go to the priest and say, hey, I'm going through this, blah, blah, blah. Let's sacrifice an animal. Pray for us. Forgive me. You know, we'll do a sacrifice to atone for our sins. And, this, and, and, they'll, and they'll deal with individuals, maybe small groups here and there. But a prophet was called to the nations. Priests belong to a special tribe, right? Everybody knew who they were. Everybody had respect for their authority. Check this out. They, they, they walked around. They identified them as priests. First of all, it was their tribe. Then it was their clothing. People knew, oh, that's a priest. There was respect. There was reverence. There was honor. Right? But a prophet could have come from any tribe. A prophet wasn't wasn't um, held to just one tribe. Therefore, the prophet had the burden of having to prove that he was chosen by God. Right now, the conversation is between who? The verses that we read. Between who? God and Jeremiah. But, but who else is writing this down? Who else is witnessing this? At this moment, nobody. This is a conversation between God and Jeremiah. He's calling Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, I'm calling you. 
I'm putting my words in your mouth, and you're going to go out to the nations. Now he's got to be like, um, I'm a prophet of God. Man, get your face out of here. There was an uphill battle. Now, obviously, obviously, once he was identified, once, once God showed himself through the submissiveness of the man, because that's where we're, we're going we're gonna to get there. But that was one of the first things. He got. Listen, they may not listen to you. They may not accept you, but just do what I've told you to do, and I'll show up. And we're going to talk about that. That's one of the things that we'll talk about. Can you see that this is a demanding task that God is asking of a 17-year-old? Pretty demanding. Most of us have been like, nah, nah, God, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'll be a Sunday school teacher. Just help me out. Hook me up. Give me the curriculum. I'll study it and I'll show up. Jesus, too, was called to, prophet, to, uh, to be a prophet, traveling place to place, challenging people to change now so that their future in heaven was guaranteed. He spoke to their hearts, yet he did not accept and re- uh, yet they did not respe- uh, accept and repent, most of them. They didn't want to change. They didn't want change. A lot of times when we're lost in our sinful lifestyles, we know we need to do something different, but we struggle with change. We struggle. So how do we counter this excuse of, God, this is too much for me. It's too demanding. God may assign some demanding tasks of you sitting here, you watching online. There are some demanding things he will. Let me say it this way. God will ask some demanding things of you. He will. Because if it wasn't, you would think, I'll take care of that. I'll knock it out. I'll do it. But they're demanding so that you can put your complete confidence in Christ to complete that task. He will assign demanding tasks in your life, right? But his call keeps us going when we feel ready to quit. Who called you? God did. When, it, when you feel like it's not going to work out, who called you, though? Who called you? The promise we have is the promise of God's purpose. You see, the thing is, when he calls you, that's your purpose. And the thing is, if you begin to walk in that purpose, right, even if it seems too demanding, it's still your purpose, and he will show up as you walk in your purpose. He says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were. He's like, you were born for this, is what he's telling you. He goes, I already knew before you even were a speck that I was going to choose you for this. And guess what? Each and every one of you, before you were born, he already knew that he was going to choose you for what he's calling you to do. God knew Jeremiah. He chose Jeremiah. He appointed Jeremiah. He knew him by name. He had him handpicked and commissioned him to serve. Man, Jeremiah sounds special right now. But guess who else is special? You guys. Because in the same manner that he chose Jeremiah, he knew Jeremiah, he appointed Jeremiah, he commissioned Jeremiah, he does with each and every one of you. However, like Jesus and Jeremiah, we need to accept that our future is not our own. What we want to do may not be up to us. Does that make sense? It's something that some of us, some of us no matter how long we've been in church, how, how long we've been serving God, no matter how long we've been a Christian, that's one of the hardest things to grasp. Your future is not yours to decide. And none of us want to hear that. Yo, it's quiet here today. It's quiet here today because I want to do what I want to do. I want to go where I want to go. I want to make my own life decisions. And God's like, well, that's technically my job. Once you allow yourself to be obedient and submissive to your creator, 
Can you imagine God? Imagine the thoughts going through him. He's like, oh, Rachel. You know, I, you know I created you, right? You know, I, before I even created you, I already called you for this, and I don't know why you're fighting this. I don't know why you're trying to go the other way. I don't know why. You're just going to take longer. You're going to bring frustration and fatigue into your life. You're going to feel like, like things aren't right in your life, like there's a disorder in your life, like there's something wrong in your life. And a lot of it is the fact that you have not submitted to the fact that you are not in control of your life. And yet you still try to do it, and then you get tired, and you get frustrated, and you get angry, and you get bitter, and you get rebellious. All sorts of things start to come in. You open the door to the devil and says, listen, hey, you, <laughs> you open it like, hey, devil, I'm not obeying God, so you might as well just come on in. Hey, I'm rebelling against God. You want to come on in? I'm disobeying and not being submissive. Come on in. That's what we do. We open the door to the enemy and we say, come right in because I am choosing to not submit myself to the fact that God is in control. And then we wonder why it's such a mess, why I'm so tired, why I'm so frustrated, why I'm so bitter, why I'm so angry. Why I'm so... Let God be in control. Don't, you can't plan your life. We could try to plan certain stages, you know, save money for the house, for education, for your kids in the future. These are things we do because we want to be wise stewards of what God has given us, right? But you have to be ready that God can be like, uh, I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that. You're not going over there. You're staying here. Sorry, guys. Sorry. We have to accept that the future is not our own. We are his, and he has a distinct plan for each and every one of you. So when we feel we have that excuse of, <laughs> it's too demanding, I don't think I can do it, to understand that uh, you were chosen for that. You have the promise of God's purpose. Like, that was, that's God's purpose in your life. All right, another excuse that he may have had, that he had is that my talent is inadequate. My talent is inadequate. Verse 6 says, I can't speak for you. I'm too young, right? There's two things there. We'll talk about the I can't speak for you. Jeremiah felt inadequate as a public speaker, perhaps, or, 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 uh, or something in the, in the fact. Like, who else felt like that? I can't speak for you. You feel like that. Who else in the words felt like that? Moses. Exodus 4.10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not good with words. It probably would have really sounded like this. Like, oh, uh, l- 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 Lord. I'm not really good, 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 good with words. Um, I've never, never, that's probably how it would have sounded in real life when Moses was talking. But it says, I'm not good with words. I've never been. And, and, not, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. This is Moses. When he was being called, he too had an excuse of, I'm inadequate. Any of us turn around and say this to God when he calls us? God, I don't think I can, I don't think, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I got the skills for that. I don't, I don't think I can, I don't know if I, I, I have it in me. This must be a mistake. I'm, I'm not a speaker. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a, I, 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 I can't love people. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I was never really loved. I don't really know how to love people. We have all sorts of excuses of why we may be inadequate when at the timing of God's call. God has a way to overcome, to help us overcome our weaknesses and insufficiencies. He's got, he, he will do it. In my own life, I can tell you that I have seen how God has overcome the weaknesses and insufficiencies in my life. And those weaknesses and those insufficiencies have forced me to rely on God. I've seen it. 
Like, yeah, there's, I have things that, there's weaknesses and insufficiencies in my life. And every time they pop up, I'm saying, God, you, you, it's got to be all you. It's got to be all you because you know I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to say. I don't, know, I don't know what to do. And I leave it and give it all to God. It forces you to rely on God, and then God gets this amazing glory from accomplishing things that you would have no business accomplishing. Like, you can't even be like, <laughs> you can't even do that. You know how people are like, I know, I know. I know, I know, I did a good job. No, you can't even do that. Some of us look back like, wow, God, you really did that. So one of the promises we have to counter this excuse of inadequacy is that uh, <laughs> when he calls, he equips. When God calls you, he equips you. So guess what? You may not know how to speak now, but if he's calling you to speak, that means he's going to give you that ability to speak. You may not know how to teach right now, but if he's calling you to teach, he's going to give you the ability to teach. You may not have patience with children, but if he's calling you to help the children's ministry at Lighthouse, He's going to give you the love and the patience to deal with children at Lighthouse. If you guys didn't notice, we need teachers at Lighthouse for the children, right? God, God does that. He'll do that. Because some of us are like, I got my own, and I don't know how they're still alive. <laughs> I don't even know how, I don't know. I don't know how she's still making it through. I kind of feel that way. Like, I don't know. I, God knows. He called me, but I can't. I don't know if I can serve in children's ministry. I don't know if I can do it. That's a special anointing for all our children's workers. Amen? So make sure you, you always love our children workers. They take care of our kids. They love our children. Amen? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of children. You know what amazing thing happened a couple days ago? My son had my my son and my daughter had a baby. Kevin and Jocelyn, congratulations! I mean, you know, we can't say it enough. I just I don't know. So I, I held them yesterday. I got to hold them yesterday. I got all emotional just thinking about, like, oh, we get to present him in church. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh, he's, he's, just, he's such, oh, my God, it's such, it's such a, children are just miracles of God, right? It's just amazing. It's amazing. He's, he's perfect. He's perfect. Amen. Whew. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I'm a grandfather now. My wife is the happiest grandmom in the world right now. Oh, my goodness. Um, all right, I'm losing my spot. I'm losing my spot. Um, the, uh, verse 9, right? Verse 9 says, the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I have put my words in your mouth. He called him. He's like, I can't speak for you. What God do? There you go. I put the words in your mouth. Do y'all notice that? Did y'all did get that? Did y'all read that? He tells God, like, I can't speak for you. And then a couple verses later, God's like, uh, there you go. I just put my words in your mouth. What's the excuse now? Some have said this. Um, some have said that this touch was meant to purify his mouth, right? Um, I believe it's more, just more than that. That touch was also uh, meant to inspire and to empower and to empower uh, symbolic of the gift of prophecy that he was given to Jeremiah at that moment. Jesus, too, he experienced uh, a, a, another uh, form of a symbolic touch, and it all happened uh, in a different way. He was, remember, uh, he was getting baptized? Matthew chapter 3, verse 17 says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me much joy. It was like following his baptism, as soon as he comes out of the water, like the heavens open up, Right? The Holy Spirit descends as a dove, like a dove, and he says, this is my son. It's called like, like, like almost like at that moment, empowering Jesus, letting everybody know like, yo, this is my dude right here. This is my guy. 
God doesn't just bless a great speaker, right? He doesn't do that. But the one whose tongue has been touched by the coals from his altar. God has and will continue to use people with or without talents, with or without gifts. Some of us think that we got it all together and God's going to use us. And unfortunately, God's like, oh, that heart is just too dirty. I don't care how good you can do something. Mm, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care how good you can be or how well-spoken or how educated you are. The heart is filthy, and I can't use that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? That's, like, that's almost like the feeling of like you go for a job, and you're like, oh, sorry, you know too much. You ever, oh, you're overqualified. Like, girl, I need a job. You're overqualified. In this case, God saying, oh, the heart's too filthy. You, you think you know too much. You think you're all for the wrong reasons. Get out of here. The promise of provision counters our excuses of inadequacy. God will use the most unlikely people to shake up a church. He will. People walk into the doors and you're like, oh, that's nobody. Oh, that nobody going to rock this world. Rock this church. God's going to do something powerful. Don't sleep. Don't sleep. Don't, don't judge. Who used the most unlikely people to shake up a church, to shake up a community, to shake up a nation? He used Moses as the face of the deliverance of the people from Egypt, out of Egypt. Moses. All right. Then I get any yet. Next excuse. His next excuse is that the time is not right yet. It's not right yet. Um. I kind of hear this a lot. This is one that is common in today's world, especially within the body of Christ. It's not my time yet, Pastor. It's not my time yet, Pastor. Can I tell you a little secret? Um, I pray to God sometimes, right? And, and if I don't ask you to do something, it's probably because it's probably not your time to do it. But if I ask you to do something... Or if I feel that God may be, it's like, hey, sis, have you ever considered this? By, by that time, there may have been a conversation with me and God, right? And, and, and so you may not feel that it's time yet because really it's never going to be time for us. Like I, I was never ready to be a pastor. Matter of fact, I never wanted to be a pastor. And many of you guys know the testimony, right? And it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't in my timing. It was always in God's timing. And if eventually we have to just surrender, okay, whatever you want and whenever you want, right? Jeremiah says, it's not the right time because I'm too young. It's not my time yet. And some of us be like, yo, I got, I got, things, I got things to do, things to experience, places to go. I got to live life first before I come and surrender my life to God. And some of us sitting here have done that, and we regret that. And we say, man, if I would have just given more years to God. Man, if I could have just came to Christ earlier. And we regret not doing that. I'm too young. Some versions say, I am only a youth. The youth in this time was, you know, a young, unmarried man. Like I said, someone who was in his late teens, early 20s. And like I said, I think they, most scholars think that he was about 18, 17, 18 years old, around that age. His reply doesn't only show us that he's young, his age, but it also shows us that he felt inferior at that moment. Like, I'm, I'm too young for this. I'm, I mean, you want me to do what? I'm too young. I, I'm inferior. You know, um, uh, I'm inexperienced. You know, this is intimidating. God will call us and we will feel inferior. We will feel intimidated. We will feel like we don't have the experience necessary to, to complete the task that God is calling us to do. Anybody ever felt that way? Do we tell God, like, when he calls you, are we telling God right now? Some of us are being called Right now, we're in a season right now that God is calling us. And is your answer, it's not time yet? I don't know enough. I haven't figured it all out yet. Some, yo, you're not going to figure it all out. You're not. Just, just stop. Enjoy the ride. I say that, but it's hard for me. 
Because when I, I have to drive everywhere, if you guys don't know, some of you have gone places with me here and there, but I have to drive because I just need to be in control of the steering wheel. But I tell everybody who's driving with me, like, relax, don't worry about everything. Just, just enjoy the ride and we'll get there when we get there. Some people are like, wait, were you supposed to go there? Were you going to hit? How fast are you going? I mean, and, and they're like, yo, you're stressed out. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. So, um, as you guys know, I, uh, we went to, we took Abigail to, to Florida, to Disney, even though I know it's contrary. We took her to, to Disney, and, we, and she was tall enough to ride Space Mountain. I have never ridden Space Mountain at all. Like, I never, I never did. And Camille had, when she took Kevin, like, a long time ago, and she says, it's a little intense. Yeah, it's kind of intense. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking, that's because, you know, it might just, everything might just be intense for her. It's a ride. It's kind of like a roller coaster. Maybe she thought it was intense. And, and you know, but that was all, 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 like years ago. Maybe she was younger. Maybe it was scarier when she was younger. I'm like, you know what? She'll be all right. She'll be all right. They had to measure her like four times to make sure she can get on the, on the, on the, the ride. And the thing is, they, they're one-seaters, right? So... She couldn't sit next to me. She had to sit, like, in her own seat. And it's a little, 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 look, a little train, a little spaceship of three seats, right? So I sat in the front. We put Abigail in the middle. And then Camille sat in the, in the last one. And so the whole ride, which turned out to be a lot more than just intense. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it, was, it, was, it was really intense, right? I have one hand. Like, I'm like a death grip. One hand on, on the little bar here, and I have my left arm tucked back, and I'm, I have a death grip on my daughter's leg, right? Even though she's strapped in and everything, I have a death grip on her leg without knowing that Camille had one death grip hand on the bar and her left hand on a death grip on her shoulder. So we had her, like, locked in. And it was so intense that she made not a sound. That's how traumatized I think my daughter is right now. She, it was the quietest she's ever been. It was the quietest she's ever been when she started talking. We heard nothing. And I'm like, Abigail, you all right? Abigail, nothing. The whole ride. I, I, didn't, I did not enjoy that ride. I didn't get to sit back and enjoy the ride because my thoughts were on everything else, right? We need to sit back and just enjoy the ride. Let God do it. Let him, we, can't, we can't worry about trying to figure it all out. Just surrender to him. Right? So how do we counter this feeling of this excuse of it's not time yet? We counter it with the fact that um, the promise of God's presence, God's uh, call may come at a time where you don't feel that it's time, but you have to understand, first of all, he said it's time, and he'll be there. He'll be there. He'll be with you. Look at, look at um, his response in verse 7 and 8. Look at his response seven, verse 7 and 8. It says, um, the Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. I, I the Lord, have spoken. Mic drop. Microphone drop. I have spoken. Understand this, though. This, this church, this is where, I mean, that sounds cool, right? Woo, God's going to be with me. And he spoke. But that promise comes with conditions. You know what that means, you know? Conditions, things that you have to do first. Like, he's going to be there. He's going to be there with you. But there's some things you got to do first. Before Jeremiah could experience God's presence and, had him, and he had to go where God sent him. He had to go. He had to speak what God would tell him to do and he had to reject fear. Again, it says, don't say you're too young. Go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you to say and don't be afraid. And then of the people, yada, 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 yada. And then it says, for I will be with you and protect you. He's telling him, you need to go, you need to speak, and you need to not be afraid, and I'll be with you. I, you, guys, you, guys seen, you guys seen the scripture? You guys seen the verses? 
You guys seen the, the pattern, the order of what, how God is speaking to Jeremiah? Go, speak, don't be scared. I'm going to be with you, is what he's telling him. That's hard for many of us. That's hard for many of us. You remember, like, you're in a, you ever been in a pool and you tell your kid to jump in? Like, I'm here. But your kid still needs to jump in, right? Like, the child still needs to make the effort to jump in the pool. And that child is thinking, like, the water's deep. I don't know how to swim. I don't know what I'm going to do. And like, they don't care that you're there. They don't care that you're there. At that moment, they don't care. Some kids don't care. Some, some kids just don't care. They'll just jump in. But most kids are like, oh, I'm not jumping in. I don't know how to I don't, I don't know. But you're there. And God is saying, I'm, I'm going to be there. The thing is this. If God says, go there, you see, he, he's not going to show up. The thing is that God is already here. He's already here. He's sending you somewhere. He's saying, go, speak, don't be afraid. I'll be there. I'll be with you. But he's already there. And we're more, and, we're, and some of us are worried, like, you know, we're like, um, God, you, you with me? You with me? He's there already. Don't be, don't be afraid. God promises to be with him. Just go. Just say. Stop being scared. Man, up is what he's telling Jeremiah. God walks with us. His presence gives us the strength to stand in the face of every assault. What a difference it makes when you know <laughs> that when you are being sent somewhere, you're not going alone. You ever go somewhere new, especially like when someone invites you to a birthday party that you don't really know nobody, but you know there's going to be people there that you know? You're like, oh, you either try to schedule to go with them so you got to walk in together, Right? Or, or you tell them, like, are you there yet? Okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to come in and this and that. Like, you set it up so that you can feel better knowing that when you are in a place with a lot of people that you don't know, you're comfortable because you know somebody. When God is calling you, he's calling you to something that perhaps is something unknown to you because if you're not walking in that calling yet or that purpose yet, then it's going to be new to you, right? And so when he calls you to that purpose, it's, it's, it should be... Um, it should bring you peace to understand that God is going to be there with you. You're not going to go at this alone, right? You got a travel buddy. I have a travel buddy. Jeremiah, we're going to read the next verses from 11 to 19 as we continue in, in, in this back and forth that could have happened, that, that, that Jeremiah is thinking, that the words that he's saying, how God is responding, because Jeremiah is called to be a prophet to the nations. And as we're called, we have excuses. Jeremiah 1, 11 to 19 says, Then the Lord said to me, Look, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I replied, I see a branch from an almond tree. And the Lord said, That's right, and it means that I am watching, and I will certainly carry out all my plans. Then the Lord spoke to me again and asked, what do you see now? He goes, I see a pot of boiling water spilling from the north. Yes, the Lord said, from terror, for terror from the north will boil out on the people of this land. Listen, I am calling the armies of the kingdoms of the north to come to Jerusalem. I, the Lord, have spoken. They will set their thrones at the gates of the city they will attack its walls and all the other towns of Judah. I will pronounce judgment on my people for all their evil, evil uh, for all their evil, for deserting me and for burning incense to other gods. Yes, they worship idols made with their own hands. Oh, by the way, you know how some people say, oh, burning sage is nothing. All right, we're not going to get into that. Y'all don't want to get into that right now. Y'all don't want to get into that right now. Pastor, this is Sunday service. All right, all right, we don't talk about that. We ain't going to talk about that. Just don't do it. Um, <laughs> get up and prepare. Get up and prepare for action. Go out and tell them everything I tell you to say. Do not be afraid of them or I will make you foolish in front of them. Yo, this, our God is gangster. He's, telling like, he's, he's like, man up. Go over there. Don't be scared. And if you don't do it, I'm going to make you look like a fool in front of them. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. For see today, I have made you strong like a fortified city that cannot be captured, like an iron pillar or a bronze wall. You will stand against the whole land, the kings, officials, priests, and the people of Judah. They will fight you, 
but they will fail, for I am with you, and I will take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is good stuff. This is, this is, this is meaty stuff right here. Like, woo! Some of y'all are not going to want to eat later today. Y'all going to be like, oh, I already ate. So the next excuse is like, it could be like, he, he, the next excuse that Jeremiah could have had, like, oh, God, this is a dangerous thing you're asking me to do. This is dangerous. This teaching, this type of teaching is dangerous. The Lord didn't give Jeremiah a joyful, cheerful, uh, uh, tree-hugging message to give to the people. He didn't do that. He gave him a message uh, of, uh, of deliverance to announce, I mean, a message of judgment. Unfortunately, Jeremiah, he would be misunderstood. Jeremiah would be persecuted. Jeremiah would get arrested. He'd go to jail. His life would be threatened a couple times. Like, this would all happen to Jeremiah. Unfortunately, this would happen. But what did God say? You'll be all right. I'm with you. Some of us are like, I don't care if I'm going to be all right. I don't want to go through that. You ever go through something so taxing on your life, overcome it, then get to look back and be like, ah, wow. Wow. Look at what... Look, look, look at the things that we've overcame. Look, look, at, look, at, look at me now, right? When we go through things in our walk with God that are designed to just like destroy us and everything, we hold on to the promise that he's there. We get through it. We look at like, man, God, look what you did. Look what you did, God. Man, you're awesome. If that doesn't make you fall more in love with him, then, then, you know, we got, we got some problems. We got some issues to work with. God used the image of a boiling pot to communicate this wrath. Some of you are like, this pot thing, I'm not getting it. So we're going to break it down real quick. Verse 13 says, and he spoke to the Lord me again and asked, what do you see now? He says, I see a pot boiling water spilling from the north. Spilling from the north. So check this out. Um, Jewish homes would always have, mostly all Jewish homes would have the main pot. The main pot of the house, you know, where they would cook most, the majority of the food. Sometimes they would use even the pot to wash clothes or whatever the case may be. But it, they, every, it's like, every, it's like every, every household, especially a lot of the Latino households, y'all got that big rice. You know what do you call it? The caldero, right? You got this big rice thing. Every house got the big rice pot. If you don't got one, your mother-in-law is going to get you one. Trust me. Trust me, if you haven't gotten one yet, your mother-in-law might get you one. But every house got the rice, the rice pot. In, the, in, this, in this times, every Jewish home, they had this pot. They had this pot. But the thing about this vision, right, that, well, the, the thing that he saw was that the pot was not just level. The pot was imbalanced. The pot was imbalanced. It was tilted away from the north. Spilling, spewing in, like it says, spewing from the north, right? So it was unbalanced, but it was leaning toward the south from the north, okay? And some of you guys still, you're like, well, I, I still don't, okay. At this moment, at this moment, that pot at any moment could have spilled over and everything in that pot would have spilled into the south in his vision, Right? This pot represented the nation of Babylon that would then come and attack the, God's people, the people of Judah, right? And so what happens is, you know, it, it, yeah, again, it would represent the nation of Babylon that would eventually invade and conquer Judah as a result of Judah's wickedness, as a result of their disobedience, as a result of their rebellion. I mean, but he says it. I mean, if they would have just listened... Remember, a prophet, it was, it, you see, your prophet wasn't just, I'm going to tell your future. No, the prophet was here to tell you about the now. Change this now, because if you don't change this now, this is your future. And so he's saying, like, look at this. The, the south is not safe right now. There is danger heading your direction because of your evilness and your ways. Jesus' teaching contained a message of mercy, of grace, but it also contained a message of judgment. 
and punishment. His teachings were dangerous as well. It was his teachings that costed him his life, right? If he would have just stayed quiet and never taught, they would have never felt threatened. They would have never been, you know, went after him. It was his teaching that cost him his life. But we also know he was sent to die for you and for me. However, we have the promise of God's prevailing. What God says through us may be dangerous, but God gives us the strength to endure. And then we see that in verses 18 and 19. He says, For see today, I have made you strong, like a fortified city that cannot be captured, like an iron um, pillar or bronze wall. You stand against the whole land, the kings, officials, priests, people of Judah. They will fight you, but they will fail, for I am with you, and I will take care of you, and I, the Lord, have spoken. Notice how, they, how, how uh, God is using a bunch of, like, these architectural terms right? He's saying a fortified city. Uh, he says an iron pillar, a bronze wall, right? All this, all these are solid, unshakable structures. You ever seen a, a, a bronze wall? Ain't going nowhere. I don't think I've ever seen a bronze wall, but you can imagine what a bronze wall would look like, right? An iron pillar? I, that, that sounds like it's not going nowhere. Solid, unshakable, like the God that we serve. God reassured Jeremiah, they will attack you, but they will not overcome. Listen, this is an important message for us today because a lot of us feel like we're just going through it. We're going through it. We're going through it. I've been talking to so many of you this week, and I, w- I was telling the leadership um, on Friday night that, 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 that right now I believe there's something powerful that God has in store for Lighthouse. I mean, I imagined, this, this is what I was telling the leadership, and I'm going to share it with you guys right now. I'm sorry it has nothing to do with sermon, but I got to tell you. So listen, um, I, I imagine you, you guys have seen like big barn doors, right? So imagine big wooden barn doors, right, that you're standing on the outside, and then all of a sudden there's so much stuff on the inside, so many people, so many animals, whatever. This is a lot on the inside that is pushing the barn doors. So you're standing on the outside looking at the doors buckling, like buckling, like, like they're about to explode, right? And I honestly feel that right now we are in a, we are, we are, God is aligning us right now that the, the, the church, right now there is a buckle. There's a buckle going on, and it's about to explode, and we are about to see souls come to Christ, restorations, families saved, people saved, lives turned around, people delivered, chains broken. I'm talking about we're already seeing that, right? But it's going to be like an overflow, and God is preparing um, the leadership of this church. He's preparing each and every one of you of this church for that to happen. And what's happening is here is that um, because of what is in store, I believe a lot of us are, are under attack from the enemy. There's a lot going on in our church. You are not alone. There are a lot of families struggling. There's a lot of people going through stuff. There's a lot of marriages going through stuff. There's a lot happening that is not coincidental. It is not coincidental that all of a sudden so many marriages are struggling. It's not coincidental. It's not to shame anyone. It's to say, yo, there is a serious demonic attack on, our, on the health of the families of this church, and, and they will not prevail. The things of the enemy cannot prevail if we hold on to God. Yo, we got the cheat sheet. We, we, got, we, 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 got, we, we got the codes to, 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 to do, to say. Remember, we used, remember the codes you used to do? We got it all. Anyway, sorry, sorry. So John 16, 33, I have told you that, I have told you all, so this, that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. Marriages are always going to be okay. The kids are not always going to listen. You may lose a job. You may lose, you know, uh, um, some people are, are victims of identity theft over and over again. Listen, you, those things will happen, yet... Take heart. Relax in me because I have overcome the world, says God. The person who stands with God will prevail. But alone, we are alone, we are helpless. Going through trials and problems and issues. We stand with God. And the problem is that we want to hide. The problem is that the, what this, you know what this tells you? 
You know what this tells you to do? When, when you're going through it, it tells you, don't lock yourself in your room. It tells you, don't go to church. It tells you, um, um, you don't want to be with nobody because they're going to tell you church stuff. They're going to tell you God stuff. They're going to tell you Bible stuff. Th- that's what happens. Your flesh don't want to hear it. First of all, our flesh is never going to want to hear truth. You understand that? Our flesh will never want truth. And so when you are in your flesh, when you are in your feelings and emotions and you are allowing the, the, the flesh to dictate your, your next move, it's never going to want to hear truth. And it's the truth that will. Come on. Lastly, his last excuse could have been like, do I have to go now? Do I have to go now? God was expecting immediate action from Jeremiah. Verse 17 says, get up. Remember, it's it pretty much saying, get up and prepare yourself for action. Yo, I was like, oh, this is, this is gangster right here. Get up and prepare yourself for action. He called Jeremiah to act. Go, but prepare yourself. You won't be welcomed. You won't be accepted. But go. God is calling each and every one of you too. He's calling each and every one of you to go and to preach the gospel, the message of the good news. And guess what? Not everybody's going to want to hear it. But still go. It's not your job if they listen or not. It's your job to just speak. It's your job to share the gospel. The gospel. That God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son to die for our sins on a cross. Jesus, being the Son of God, died on the cross because you and I are sinful, filthy people. And we all deserve death. But he loved us that much. He loved you that much. He loves you that much that he sacrificed his only son. And that through that son, in accepting of his son, we have access to eternal life. That this world that we complain about, that the, the issues of life that we complain about, that the things that we have falling and just, just, just feeling like they're ruining our lives, these are all temporary. You will blink and this life is over. It felt like yesterday I was holding Abigail in the same manner that I was holding my grandson last yesterday. Life is but a vapor. Eternity is forever. God expects obedience and he expects it immediately. (laughs) We know kids, we ask, we got to tell them like five, six, seven times. Clean your room. Clean your room. Clean your room. Clean your room. All right. You get an empty trash bag. You start walking to their room. They'll clean it real quick. I'm throwing everything away. All those toys are getting thrown away unless they get put away. When God calls you, he expects obedience immediately. (laughs) If not, this is, this is not nice. This is not fuzzy. This is not like kumbayaish. But if not, if we do not obey immediately, you <laughs> are in danger of God's wrath. What? He's a loving God. Yeah, I know. And he loves you. And he wants you to listen. But he's not like me. I'll tell, I'll tell Abigail something a million times. 
before I get like really angry, right? Like I just, like, I'll be like, come on, just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it. To the point where Camille's like, uh, you're going to keep just telling her or you're going to do something about that? God's not like me. God's like, do this. And he expects it, like instantly. Verse 17, when he told them, he says, go out and tell them everything I tell you to say. Do not be afraid of them, or I will make you foolish in front of them. Go out and do this, or I'm going to have to take care of you. And it's not going to look too pretty. I'm going to make you look like a fool in front of people. Church, can you stand with me this morning? God is calling each and every one of you. God is calling each and every one of you. I don't know what his plan is in your life. I don't know the details of what he's calling you to do. I don't know what his purpose is. Big P. Remember we talked about big P, little P's? Some people remember big purpose, little purpose. I don't know what the big purpose is in your life. God knows that. Because remember, he knew that before you were even in your mother's womb. He chose you and he knew you. So he knows what that purpose is. You each, and each, you each are called. You each have purpose. And you each can be used by God. Some of you say, what does it take to be used by God? What kind, of, what kind of person does God go after to then use that person for the glory of God? And to the, pretty much the, the two-second answer of today's message is he chooses people with no more excuses. He chooses those that no longer will make excuses so what if the task seems too demanding so what his call on your life is the purpose that he created you for so what if you feel inadequate we aren't supposed to do this on our own strength or our own skills or our own talent he will equip us can I have prayer team come up? Church, I don't, I, I don't know about you. I really don't know what you're feeling right now. But I'm feeling an overwhelming presence right now of God. He's tired of the excuses. He wants you not to feel shamed, but to feel empowered to say, you know what? That's right. That's right. You know what? I'm done with the excuses. I'm done with excuses. So what if you think it's not the right time? Submit and go. His presence is with us. But this message, it's a dangerous message. I don't know. These are not easy times we're living in. You say things about God and they, and, and they, and they say that you're a, uh, what, what do you call it? A, you're, you're, you're intolerant. You're intolerant. A strong Christians are just those that hate everyone else. No, we don't hate people. We hate sin. Christians don't hate people. We hate sin. Just as God hates sin. But we love people. And guess what? We even love people that are sinning. But you don't love the sin. There's a way to love sinful people. Do you love your spouse? Do you love your mom? Do you love your siblings? They're all sinful people. This message is a dangerous one. These are not easy times. They don't want to hear the truth. This world does not want to hear the truth. 
In Christ, we will prevail. And he will give you the strength to keep on going. And so, church, now is the time. Now is the time to stop the procrastination. God is calling you to action. He's saying, get up and get ready for action. Get up and get ready for action. When they used to tell me to get up and get ready for action in different words, when I was in the military, something was about to go down. Something was going down, and we had to get ready. Church, get up. Prepare yourselves for action. The days are shorter. Rumors of wars. What is right is being called wrong. What is wrong is being called right. What are these signs of? Church, Christ is coming soon. When? We don't know, nor the day, nor the hour. But the times are getting closer and closer to the return of Christ. And we have work to do. We have to rise up outside our own feelings, outside our own situations, and say, you know what? Time is short. Life is short. I am here with purpose. A purpose that I did not choose, but a purpose that he chose. And I need to surrender my will to his. Get up and prepare yourself. Obey. For you will have the power of God in your obedience. A church, it's time. It's time. Some of you guys are saying like, oh, God could never use me. God never, I don't know what. It is time. God wants to use you and he wants to use you now. When he was sending, when he was commissioning Jeremiah, he wasn't saying, oh, one day, maybe in three or four years, or, or maybe in five years after you get settled and after you pop out 20 kids and stuff like that. No, he's not saying all that. He is calling you now. It is time now. Now is the time to be used by God. And now is the time to have no more excuses.